Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We resume our study of the book of Mark. And if you'll remember that Mark started his gospel out with power and, and might, declaring that this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Mark doesn't pull any punches. He's direct, he's deliberate and intentional in his story about the Lord. And Mark 11 is a forceful and powerful uh, depiction of who Jesus is. I don't know who you think Jesus is, but uh, you know, everybody's got an image of Jesus, right? So uh, he's peace, love, and understanding. He's like a 60s hippie man. Everything's beautiful. All is great. And he treats, you know, little, little, little lammies and children are wonderful, and he's real gentle. Uh, some of you, he's just like this esoteric guru who's just like, you know, walking kind of spacey and uh, all these different things. Uh, he's love, he's gentle, he's nice, he's kind. He is all of those things, but I'll tell you, if you try to put him into a box of human understanding, it just cannot contain his majesty and his glory. And today in chapter 11, we're going to see, see a side of Jesus that'll blow you away, and it might intimidate you, and it might create some fear. And uh, fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the sense of awe and wonder as to who he is. And I pray that if you put Jesus in a box today, he's going to bust it open. So let's take a look at Mark 11 and see what's going on. This is the entrance of the king. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem at the Passover. This is now three years of ministry. He's been training his disciples. We're studying a discipleship manual, the book of Mark. And as we've been studying it, we're learning that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to do and to become like he is and what he does. And so he enters triumphantly into Jerusalem at the Passover week. What is fascinating about this is he's entering on the 10th of Nisan. And on the 10th of Nisan is four days before Passover when all of Israel is to be coming to Jerusalem and bringing in the lamb, the Passover lamb, into their house. According to Moses, they're to take that Passover lamb, the Arneos lamb, bring it into the household and have it there for four days till they sacrifice it at the sacrifice and feast of Passover. So what's fascinating is the Lamb of God, Jesus, is entering into the city of God, the city of David, Jerusalem, and uh, on the day when everybody else is bringing in the Lamb of God. And it says this, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we will send it back immediately. Again, Mark's favorite word. And so uh, this is in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah that Jesus would ride in a colt into Jerusalem. And so they do this, they bring him in. And what's amazing, I'm not going to read every verse, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. Jesus enters uh, in on this cult, and people who have heard his ministry, seen him, 
saw him uh, open blind eyes and heal the sick and restore those with lame uh, legs and limbs. Uh, They're rejoicing. This is awesome. And so the excitement builds at Passover week and they start crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna! Now they're screaming that, shouting that with palm branches that they cut down as Jesus is entering in. This is a parade. This is awesome. Should Jesus have been received like that? Absolutely. He is the Messiah. But they think he's a political leader. They think he's going to set him free, set Israel free from Rome's dominance over them. A political power to bring back the golden age of King David. And what they don't recognize truly is who this is sitting on that colt. It's Jesus, the Son of the living God. And they say, Hosanna, which means in Hebrew, save now. Save us now. Deliver us now. Deliver us. They don't realize that he's coming to deliver them from the ultimate enemy of mankind, sin and death. They think he's just going to deliver them from Rome. So deliver us from the highest authority in the highest of heavens. Uh, Have you ever been so close and miss it by a mile? You know, I mean, they're that close. They're like doing the right thing. But they're just not seeing the depth of who He is. I think we've done that in our lives with our walk with Jesus. I think there are times we've been so close to breakthrough, but we just didn't see it to its fullness. We didn't receive the fullness of what God had in it for us. And so they cry out, blessed is He. And so He comes in, and listen to this in verse 4. And uh, it's, I'm sorry, verse 11. And He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, he enters in triumphantly. There's a parade. The Pharisees, Sadducees, a little upset with what's going on. They don't uh, particularly like this parade. Luke tells us that the Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, you know, tell your people to stop shouting. Jesus says, hey, if they stop, the rocks themselves will cry out. This is a triumphal entry. This is amazing. Prophetically, according to the Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, I mean, Jesus is literally riding into Jerusalem the day that Daniel prophesied and gave this time period by which Messiah would enter Jerusalem. It's, it's amazing. So all of creation is buzzing and humming with the reality of the Son of God appearing in the city of David. But what happens is he now moves into Jerusalem and it says he goes into the Temple Mount and he walks around and looks at everything. Uh, If you'll see, this is Google Earth, you can see that he comes through uh, Bethany as he's walking through the trail, coming through Bethany, up through Bethphage, over to the Mount of Olives, over the trail to the Temple Mount where they receive him in parade and he walks around. He then observes everything and leaves and goes back over to Bethany. It's less than two miles away. It's not that far. They're very close uh, related. But what I want you to catch is this in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything. Say that with me. Looked around at everything. Say it one more time. Looked around at everything. What did Jesus do? He's pretty good at that, isn't he? 
Jesus is very observant. He looked around at everything. He made a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You have to understand something. This isn't Jesus just showing up at Jerusalem like he did the last two years for Passover. This is the Passover he knows he's coming to die for. He knows he's coming to fulfill the Passover sacrifice. He's coming into Jerusalem not just as the Passover lamb, but he's coming into Jerusalem as the Son of God who judges the nations, as the King of all kings to review Israel at the time to see if it's ready to meet her God. And so he goes in. He does nothing but reviews and looks around at everything. It's late, so he then heads back to Bethany, and he's there. We go on now, and it says on the next day, when they came from Bethany to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now first, uh, disciples should hear what their rabbi says. If you're a follower of the rabbi, you stick close to him. You want to make sure you hear every word he utters because you're there to learn. So Jesus spoke out loud to a fig tree. I don't know how many of you talk to trees. Jesus talked to a fig tree. You don't want to know. Why are you talking to this fig tree, Jesus? So he says something to a fig tree. The disciples hear him. And what he says to the fig tree is actually a curse. He says, may no one ever receive figs from you again. Why? Now this is a bizarre passage and people have trouble with it because they say he's hungry. Great, glad you're hungry, son of God. That's wonderful. And it says he sees a fig tree in the distance in leaf. That's mean... That means its foliage is fully blossomed. He, it, it, all of its leaves are out. He sees fig tree by the side of the road. Some people criticize this story. I was reading this morning a blog from an atheist that had a problem saying, how dare Jesus take and curse someone's fig tree and take their livelihood away from them? I figure you really didn't get the story, did you? It didn't bear fruit. This thing was never going to bear fruit, and that's why it was of no value. But they didn't go that far. Another one says, obviously, that Jesus is not the Son of God. Obviously, he's not God because he sees the leaves on a fig tree. Didn't he know it bore no fruit? Why would he be surprised? As a matter of fact, Mark goes the extra mile and says this. It had leaves, but there were no figs, for it was not the season for figs. So why is Jesus looking for figs in the spring when they show up in the fall? Hmm, some Savior he is. But you've got to look at the culture and understand what's going on. Fig trees have a pre-season fruit. Tequash. Tequash is a little green bud that forms while the leaves are forming. And they're sweet little uh, growths on the tree that many times Jews would get. And they're the first fruits or the first figs that come forth in a tree before it later produces true figs. Jesus knew this, he saw the leaves, he saw the foliage, and he knew that there were these buds that he could eat. Now, they're a sign as a first fruit as to whether the tree will bear fruit later. Since there were none of the taquash on that tree, he knew it would bear no figs. And so he comes to this tree and he recognizes that it is bearing no fruit 
And let me ask you something. What good is a fruit tree that bears no fruit? Well, they're nice to look at. But I mean, what is the glory of a fig tree? Figs. What's the glory of an orange tree? What's the glory of an apple tree? Right. The glory of something is to manifest its nature. This tree is not manifesting its nature. It's not manifesting its purpose. Therefore, it is not functioning as it should. Here's the key. The fig tree is the emblem of Israel. Let me read to you Malachi, speaking of the figs. It says in Malachi 7, 1 and 2, What misery is mine! I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Jesus came into Jerusalem craving for them to recognize Him. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus cried over Jerusalem. As He entered in, He cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. It's not only that Israel did not recognize Jesus for who He is, but they in fact reject Him. It says that in Jeremiah chapter 8, 13, there is a judgment that God says over Israel. He said, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. That is a prophetic word, Jeremiah eight thirteen, of what took place on that mount right then and there. As Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, the fig tree that represents Israel bears no fruit. What was Israel supposed to be? The light to the world. A light to the Gentiles. To declare Messiah and when He comes, to bring Him to all nations so that everyone would know that this is Messiah. But Israel bore no fruit for their Messiah. And Jesus cursed Israel and declares there will be no more fruit from you anymore. Oh, Israel birthed Christ Jesus, but after that, there is no more fruit that this world's received from Israel. Not until Jesus returns. And so Jesus proclaims this over Israel, but we're not done yet. After he curses, in fact, look at verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. But that's not what I want you to read. Verse 20 is what I want you to read. As they passed by him in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. The minute that Jesus spoke that curse, the minute he prophesied over Israel to that fig tree, Something happened at the root of that tree. You couldn't see it immediately. It went the whole day and nothing happened. You know, some of us see God that way. He speaks, we hear His Word, and it seems like nothing happens. But time goes on and we recognize God spoke to the root of the thing before it manifests. It took an entire day 
But Jesus spoke, and when he spoke, that thing went to the roots that dried it up, and the day later the leaves began to wither and fade, and it dried up. There are times God does deep things that you can't see. There are times that God answers your prayers, but they're above all that you could ask or even imagine. It's in the realm you can't grasp, but God is working. Some of you need to hold on to that. You've been praying. You don't think God's doing a thing, but it's in the realm that you can't even ask or imagine. It's in the realm of faith that you've got to trust. It's working deep into the root system of that thing you've been praying for. It will manifest but you have to wait in God's timing for it. God spoke to this fig tree, and He spoke the will of the Lord over it, for it bore no fruit. But that's not it. We go on. Jesus then goes in. In verse 15, And they came to Jerusalem, and He entered the temple. And He began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And He was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves and robbers. Man, this isn't the Jesus that we know. This isn't the Jesus you hear about that walks mystified through the crowds, that touches lovingly and puts little children on their laps. This is Jesus with a whip. This is Jesus turning over money tables, whipping the animals out of the place. He's turning over this whole place after he already cursed a fig tree. Jesus has a zeal for his father's house. He calls it his own and says, you've made my house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all people and all nations. Wow. You see, Jesus pulls out all the stops to reveal who he is. Is he the Messiah? Yes. Is he the son of man? Yes. Is he the son of David? Yes. Is he the savior and healer? Yes. Is he the lamb of God? Yes. But he is also the judge of all mankind. He is also the king of all kings. And he comes in authority. You have to remember, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. It is at this point that the Pharisees and Sadducees determine to kill him. He now has no holds barred as he comes into Jerusalem. Do you remember what I asked you to look at in the verse the day before, after the triumphal entry? What did he do? He observed everything. And in that place of observing everything, he was moved. And so moved, he returned back for a night of prayer to come into the morning to clean house. And he came as the judge of Israel. And he came to curse the fig tree. And he came to cleanse his father's house. Now I want you to catch something here. Let's go back to that verse. Look at verse 16. This grabbed me this morning. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, Just meditate on that for a minute. If you've been to the Temple Mount, if you see what that area is, it was an area called the Court of the Gentiles. 
And we'll get into that in a minute, but it was a large area where people and traffic were moving. They had the lambs, bullocks, the, the, the goats, they had the uh, pigeons for sale. Because you'll remember, at Passover, this was one of the three feasts that Jewish men were to return back to Jerusalem for. So all the Jews are coming back, but they didn't bring, many couldn't afford to bring a lamb with them, couldn't bring their sacrifice. So when they come to the feast, they have to purchase them. So the Jews set up places to purchase your lambs or your pigeons or whatever you're going to sacrifice for Passover. They just happened to set it up in the court of the Gentiles, a place where it was reserved for those who were non-Jews to come worship the Lord. Now, what was Israel supposed to do? What fruit were they supposed to bear? The light of Messiah, the light to the nations. They're supposed to be the people who represent Yahweh to all nations. That's their fruitfulness. That's their mission. And they shut it off and closed it off for business. But consider... Jesus screaming at the top of his lungs that you have made my father's house a den of thieves. But this verse says he would not allow who? A few people? Anyone. You know how many hundreds of people are walking through the temple? He would not allow anyone to carry what? Carry what? Anything. Come on. I, no wonder they, they said, we got to kill this guy. He's nuts. He's flipping over tables. He's knocking over money. He's telling you, drop it. Put that down. You, get that out of your hands. Stop carrying everything. This is a house of prayer. Stop your commerce. Stop your buying. Stop yourself. Put it down. All the while he's carrying a whip. Is this how you see your Savior? How did that work when He entered into you, His temple? There are things that we're carrying us, in us, that He's saying, you put that down now. He's got a whip in His hands. How many of you would dare let Jesus loose in your temple? How many of you would let him come into your soul and heart right now? I know he lives in your heart. I know you've invited him in. But how many of you will unleash him? How many of you will take him out of the box, of the parameter you said he could sit in the corner at? While you're busy doing your buying and selling and running your life. How many of you will let him loose in your house today? How many of you recognize that you've not let your temple be a house of prayer? But in fact, there's been a thief living in our houses. We've allowed the devil to steal, steal, kill, and rob and destroy the things God's put in us. We allow thieves in our minds. We allow an enemy to rob our joy and steal. And Jesus says, on our behalf, let me loose. Let me after him. I'm telling you, that's what real revival is all about. It is a people of God who finally say to Jesus, have your way with me. I'm a broken man. I'm a broken woman. Fight for me. Take everything out of me. God, break me. Mold me. 
Jesus, take your whip and drive out every demonic thought in my mind. Drive out everything I've let the enemy rob me of. Don't let anyone take anything from me anymore. I've let people steal my joy. I've let others put me down. I've got hardness of heart because someone wounded me. Oh, Jesus, tell them to take it out of their hands and leave. Jesus is here to turn us into the temple of God. That court of the Gentiles was supposed to be where people from all nations could now come back to God, but they couldn't get there because Israel was being religious in their ceremonies. I've got to ask you, how many people, how many sinners have we turned away because we're so religious? You know the story of the Good Samaritan? huh? A man beaten close to death and, and a priest walks by him. The man who bears the fruit of Israel, the fruit of Yahweh, the mercies of God, walks by him, but he can't stop for him. Why? He's a priest. He's got religious duties. If he touches a man who's a Samaritan who has blood, he'll be unclean and he can't do his religious duties for God. Listen, if your religious duties ever get in the way of caring for someone, something's wrong. We've got a problem with the church. We've got our religious duties. We memorize scripture. We pay our tithe, but we can't give any money to the guy next to us in need. We can't help someone. We can't care for the lost or love our enemy lest we get unclean. We're to be like Jesus. We've got to make this house a house of prayer. A house of prayer means a, an access to God. And that's what Jesus was furious about. Israel, I came to you as the fig tree and you bore no fruit so he went to the root of the problem. Just as he spoke to the root of that fig tree, he went to the root of Israel's fruitlessness. He went to the temple where they were to worship their God. And what he found at the root system of Israel was a system of Pharisaic laws and rules and rituals which kept the people from God. You tithe your spices while you steal from widows, he had said. You adulterous generation, ready to stone a woman in adultery. And any of you who have that same offense, pick up the stone. He was constantly calling them out on their own sin while they were so sanctified, calling him out as a blasphemer. It's the epitome of irony. The root problem for Israel was found at the temple that day. And he cursed it and he cleansed it. That's the power and majesty of King Jesus. Isaiah 56 says this, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. But they would not. So the judge of all nations comes. I want to share something else with you so unique about Jesus on this occasion. To continue to give you a sense of who He is in His awesomeness, in His glory. For as He's walking in to judge a nation, 
on the Feast of Passover, thousands of years ago, there was another time Jesus judged a nation. You would ask yourself, when? He was only 33 years old at this point. But Jesus, the eternal Son, lived and existed as the Word of God in eternity past. If you'll remember how Passover began, Moses commanded Israel to take the Passover lamb four days before Passover, bring it into your house, feed it, nurture it, care for it. They did none of this with Jesus. And on that 14th day of Nisan, they're to sacrifice that lamb and they're to take the blood and paint it over the doorpost. And what did God say? He said, I will pass over the house who has the blood of the lamb on its lentil. And so then Cecil B. DeMille gives us that great movie of the Ten Commandments. Snooze, snooze. Sorry, it was a commentary. But anyways... Then you remember this, that amazing scene when the death angel comes and that green fog starts floating through Egypt and goes over the doorpost. You remember that about the death angel and that angel that came to kill? You can't find the death angel in Scripture. There is no death angel at Passover. What you will see is that God Himself said, I will defeat every god in Egypt. It is God who goes through Egypt, destroying the firstborn. Let me get a little more pointed. Any emanation from the Father, any expression that comes from the Father is the Logos, is the Word, is Christ Himself. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the expressed image of the invisible God. So I want to let you know, that the one who judged Egypt, its firstborns, and all its gods was Jesus, pre-incarnate, before He came in the flesh. Am I trying to get you afraid of Jesus? No, I want you to be in awe of Him. But what I want you to know is who He is. I believe there is, a, there is coming a time in the church where our evangelism and our witnessing is going to change. It's going to change from an invitation to a sugar daddy. He's sweet. You'll like him. You'll never need anything else. Jesus is the best. He'll love you forever. He's good. And that's true. But I believe we're going to be caught up in a passion and a zeal to reach the lost because the church is going to come into a knowledge of the full stature of who Christ is. God in all of His glory, the King, the righteous judge. And He is coming to judge the living and the dead. And the church will be gripped by the passion and the knowledge that Jesus is coming to clean up all sin and destroy the work of the enemy and obliterate it completely. And we're going to be pressed to reach those who are lost and dying and speak to them to fear God. Jesus came. Nothing came from Israel after that. If you'll remember, as He cursed that fig tree and said, you'll bring no life any further... There's been nothing further from Israel. In fact, in 70 A.D., the temple was utterly destroyed by the Romans. And Israel was scattered to the nations. 
wasn't until 1946 Israel comes back as a nation and now is prepping for the return, though they don't know the return of Jesus Christ. Israel's bore no fruit to the world again. You see, it transferred from the nation of Israel to the king of Israel, to the king Jesus. And what happened in that temple that was the house of prayer, now the temple is here. You're the house of prayer. You're the court to the Gentiles. They no longer have to come to Jerusalem. They simply need to come to you. Because you are now the house of prayer. You, the body of Christ, are now the people who carry the glory of Jesus. You are now the house of prayer. Will Jesus find you clean, cleansed, and bearing fruit? I conclude with this. As they passed, Peter said, Rabbi, there's the fig tree withered. And Jesus answered, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Now, where is he standing? The Mount of Olives. On the mount right across from the Temple Mount. And as he turns, he can say, You can tell this mountain, Be thou removed. Just as he told that fig tree, You're done. That mountain did fall into the sea. That temple, that place that was where you were to worship, now is found in Christ and Christ alone. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, and it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, so as your Father, uh, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. He begins to teach them concerning the withered fig tree and the cleansing of the temple that you are now that house of prayer. Whatever you ask for, the Father will hear. Whatever you forgive, the Father will forgive. Whatever you say, be thou removed, will be removed. You're the temple of God. The triumphal entry came into your life. I don't know how many years ago. But He came into your heart to change you forever. This world doesn't need to look to Jerusalem for its hope and it doesn't need to look to a stone building. It needs to look to all those who are of the body of Christ He multiplied Himself and put Himself in us. His Spirit dwells in us so now that we can touch as many people as possible. You now bear the fruit of a barren fig tree. So what fruit are you going to bring? What fruit can your feet bring? Can they take you to the lost and to the Gentiles? Yes, they can. What fruit will your hands begin to bear for the Lord? He's hungry, it said. He's hungry and He's looking for fruit. Your hands can bring the fruit to touch and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. To care and give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty. Your hands will now bear the fruit of a barren fig tree and you will now bear the fruit that He's hungry to eat. There's another fruit that we're to bear. The fruit of our lips giving praise. He's looking to see a people who will worship Him, who will praise Him, who will be His witnesses to all the earth. You must speak. Don't be a fig tree that bears no buds. 
Don't be a believer who has leaves but no mouth to bear fruit. There's no such thing as undercover Christianity. Don't put your light under a bushel but shine. If anything, this morning, he's revealed the shift. Mark is telling us that a shift took place in Jerusalem that day when the king of kings judged Israel and said, this temple is done, this nation is over, and now there's a new priesthood, and there is a new people, the people of Christ. And you will bring this fruit to a hungry people. If you will bear fruit for Jesus, stand this morning. If you will bear fruit, make that your promise to Him. Let me pray for you.